Welcome to Spiritual Grit, the podcast where we talk real talk about spirituality through the lens of activism and social justice. What happens when activism and spiritual practices collide? What sparks of change call for the grit we need to create meaningful strides in social justice? I'm your host, Leslie Ann Hobayan, poet, priestess, activist, professor, hip-hop dancer, and badass mama. Join me as we dive in to learn more about our deepest selves so that we can be better ancestors to create a stellar world for our descendants. Grab your dancing shoes and let's get groovy with the grit right now. Hello loves, welcome to another episode of Spiritual Grit. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you are feeling fantastic. You're feeling the light of the sun wherever you are, even if it's cloudy, because the sun is always there, right? The sun doesn't go away, just clouds are blocking the way, but the sun's still there and you can feel the energy of the sun. Now, as I'm talking, I'm making really now loud noises by shuffling um, the Starseed Oracle deck because I'm going to pull a card from this deck. Um, and I know it's probably not professional, but you know, who am I to be professional? <laughs> anyway, uh, all right. So we're going to pull a card from the Starseed Oracle deck to kick off our episode for today. And as I guide my hand over the cards, I'm trying to tap into some energetics here. Um, Hmm. And I think I got one right here. Okay. And we've got Messenger. Oh, this is interesting. I haven't gotten this card before. Um, and Messenger is, again, beautiful artwork. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's a figure of a person whose face you don't see, but there is a silhouette of the sun coming through and they're standing facing out to the person who's reading the card. Uh, palms, elbows are bent, palms are face forward, almost like a Jesus stance where um, I'm thinking about... Uh, is it the sacred heart of Jesus? I don't know. One of those versions of Jesus where he's just got his palms up and it looks like both giving and receiving. So, and then there's like these mountains on either side of the figure, uh, and all kinds of blues that remind me of ice and winter and things like that. Um, and then the, uh, message underneath messenger is serious energy as in the star S I R I U S not serious <laughs> um bringing harmony and balance so let us read the guidebook uh you are part of the lineage of souls who have dedicated their lifetimes to the upliftment of the planet mm -hmm. to returning time and again to seed the light the crystalline ones the ones who are here to plant the sacredness of life back in to honor both the sacred feminine and masculine to usher deep reverence back in Many ascended masters are thought to be connected to the energy of Sirius. Often appearing as a shade of blue, they hold the frequency of pure love and are here to help the masculine and feminine exist in harmony. So interesting because me bringing up Jesus in this respect feels fitting. 
to ensure greater oh sorry to ensure greater balance to help us see that we are all connected and that the masculine and feminine energies exist within all, us all you are being called to bring about this balance and harmony between the masculine and feminine to be a guardian of harmony and balance on earth think of the whales traveling around the globe sharing love through their healing vibrational song their unique notes send a balance and harmony to every corner of the planet. Whales are amazing. Um, a rebalancing of the masculine and feminine is occurring worldwide. It's a resurgence of the sacred within us all, a returning of the sacred union within, a rekindling of heaven and earth. You can begin to bring harmony and balance by creating it in your own life. The ripple, ripples will follow, will flow from there. I'm having a hard time talking today. You can honor and balance the sacred masculine and feminine energies within yourself and others. So here is your star seed soul inquiry for today. How are you being called to bring harmony to your life or to the planet? How are you being called to honor the sacred masculine and feminine within you? And this is so interesting because as we continue to interrogate the um, constructs of gender, um, this is coming forward and when um, you hear people talking about identifying as non-binary, to me, I see it as these particular people allowing for the balance of masculine and feminine energies to coexist in their bodies and who they're being. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, but for those of us who are not in that flow state of gender fluidity with regard to identity. How can we bring more of what is less into who we are being? So for example, I identify as feminine, as female, as cis hetero woman. I'm so used to saying cis, cis hetero man, but white man, but no, no, I am a woman of color. Um, but how can I bring it's so interesting because I was going to say, how can I bring more masculine energy into my life? But really, we don't want to do that because our society currently is very heavy on the masculine energy. The masculine energy is do, 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 right? And the feminine energy is more feel into what your next um, aligned action might be. Let us stop and pause and tune into our feelings, into our intuition, into our sixth sense, and then we can move about through our lives or whatever it is. Um, and so I think for me, I need to balance. I need to bring more feminine energy into my life, even though I identify as female, um, as woman, heterosexual woman. Uh, and yeah, I just need to bring more feminine energy into my life because I think that this is an invitation to allow rather than to grip and have control. So as I'm talking, it really doesn't matter what gender identity you are. It's more about thinking about what your energy is in terms of how you act as a human being in this world, on this planet. Are you more of the doer where it's like you're always on the go? You've got a, a to-do list that feels like a million miles long and you are like, I'm never going to check off all these things on the list. Here's a little secret this is true. You're never going to check it off because we keep putting things on. 
because inevitably once we check something off, another thing is going to come onto that list. So it's about us holding the boundaries of what we're putting on that to-do list and maybe not even making it a to-do list, maybe making it a manifest list. Like what do I want to manifest today? I want to, and manifest doesn't necessarily mean like I want to manifest a thousand dollars. It could be that, you know, I want to manifest this. I want to, maybe it could just be like, I want to manifest a great conversation with this person with whom I'm not looking forward to conversing. For example, like, you know, I had to call school people for some paperwork that I was kind of like, man, 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 I don't want to do it. But I shifted my energy and my perspective. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go in and say to myself that this is going to be a pleasant conversation or pleasant, pleasant correspondence with that person. Um, and all is well. And inevitably, sure enough, that is what happened. So anyway, this is, um, not exactly the direction I was intending to go for this podcast episode. What I really want to do is to talk about this retreat that I'm holding at the Malay Colony for the Arts, which is now renamed Malay Arts. I kind of liked Malay Colony for the Arts because it was like, oh, it's an artist colony. We get to go there and just be in all the nature and among other artists. But they went with Malay Arts, which is, you know, awesome too. Um, But I am holding a three-day weekend writing retreat there for folks of color, um, women, femmes, non-binary folks who identify as uh, feminine, because I am creating a sacred space for us folks of color to come together and just be, to be able to let our guard down, to not have to look over our shoulder or feel like we have to justify what we're doing, to really just do whatever we feel like doing. Um, and too often, you know, we navigate a lot of white spaces, particularly writers where, um, a lot of the spaces are predominantly white. Uh, and that speaks to systemic racism, of course, as far as how the publishing world is structured, how anything is structured in this country. Uh, and so I want to provide some time away from the oppressive social structures of our culture and our society just for three days to come and be who you are being, who you want to be, who you are being called to be, to write the things that you need to write, you know, that you feel compelled to write, but don't feel safe enough to write. Um, You know, sometimes we are called to write our deepest traumas, but it doesn't feel safe to do that because we're afraid of being judged. Or maybe we don't even think that what we've experienced is trauma. It's like, oh, that's just how life is. But when you tune in and you get really connected with your intuition, you will get to hear the truth of your life experiences. And then you will need, or you'll be called to share your story. And when it doesn't feel safe to share your story, you're not going to want to share your story. You know, if you're like, oh, you know, I totally want to tell people about this, um, this thing that I lived through, but people are going to look at me differently. People are going to look at me sideways. They're going to tell me that I made it up. They're going to tell me that, you know, my pain is less than the pain of somebody else. So it's not even worth it for me to share my story or even write it down because, you know, I'm already going to decide how people are going to receive whatever it is I create before I even create it. Now, how ridiculous does that sound? If you think about it, it's like this analogy of, you know, I really want to run this race, 
because my body wants to run because I feel called and inspired to run. But I'm looking at the people who I, I'm guessing, not even the people that I see, but the people I'm guessing who are going to enter this race and they're going to be faster than me and they're going to win and I'm not even going to have a chance at winning. So why am I even going to do that? Why bother? Well, that's a very defeatist way of looking at things. Why bother? Because you're being called to do that. You don't know what that experience is going to be like. You don't know what's going to unfold. You don't know the people you're going to interact with. You don't know what's going to happen on your way to the race. I mean, we human beings are so funny. We have such a limited vision of the world and of our life experience that we don't even realize how limited it is. We already have decided that when I go from point A to point B, it's going to look like this. This is the illusion of control, right? Because we think, oh yeah, I already know this because of past experiences. I already know this is what the outcome is going to be because of past experiences or because of other people's past experiences or because of what other people are telling me is going to happen. Um, and it's, it's just ridiculous because what you do when you do that kind of thinking is that you create a self-fulfilling prophecy. So instead of being open, right? Let's take the let's take the story of running a race, right? And we're saying, "Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to even race because I'm not going to win, blah blah blah." Well, yeah, first of all, you're taking yourself out of the race before you even try. So there's zero chance of you even <laughs> winning because you're not even in it, right? But then let's say you go, okay, I'll, I'll enter the race. Fine. I'll just go. And I know it's going to be boring. Like it's going to be like a train wreck. I'm not even going to like, I'll get shin splints. I'm not going to have the right outfit. I'm going to trip on my shoes. Like all these thoughts, right? Of these, these ways of predicting your failure, right? That is what's going to happen because that is the vibration you are sending out. So of course that's going to happen. You're declaring it. Whatever you declare is the thing that happens. And we forget how powerful our words are. We forget how powerful our thoughts are. What if we shifted it to, all right, I'm going to go and participate in this race and it's going to be amazing. I'm going to feel invigorated in my body. I'm going to do my best. It doesn't matter if I finish the race first or if I finish it last. It's just about the experience and I'm going to love it and I'm going to meet great people and who knows what's going to happen. So you go to the race with that attitude. Let's just say that, right? And then on the way, you meet the love of your life, for example. I don't know. I'm just making up stuff. Or you meet somebody who's in a similar situation where they're kind of new to running. They just felt called to doing the race and they also feel like, well, I don't know if I'm going to do it, but let's go. But you guys make a connection and then you've got a new friend. You've got a new relationship that ends up being like the most amazing friendship ever. And you guys end up, you know, being best friends for 20 years or whatever it is. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the universe is going to put in place in front of you as you move forward, as you take baby steps towards the thing you want to accomplish. You don't know. But if you are open there is more opportunity for things to align for you, for magic to happen, to bring you towards the thing that you most desire. In the context of writing, there, if you are open to the experience of writing, you feel called to share your story and write it 
Don't stuff it in the desk. Let it out. Share it with people. And how you share it with people doesn't have to look like the way everyone else shares it. You know, so in the writing world, in literary circles, we all, you know, we sit down to write, we do our thing, we know our, we, we hone our craft, we revise, we get um, writing groups, we have friends who offer amazing feedback, critiques, whatever it is. And then in our minds, the path that a writer takes is then to, if you're, you're a prose writer, to find an agent, then find an editor, find a publisher, you know, all these steps. Great. I mean, that works for a lot of people, but is that the only way? No. In the age of, you know, the digital, there is self-publishing. I know there are people out there who turn their nose down at self-publishing for various reasons. One is distribution. You know, another is like, will I be seen as valid or legitimate or whatever that even means? But you know what? That's better than sticking your creative awesomeness in a drawer, never to see the light of day and depriving the world of your beauty, of your radiance. Um, but again, self-publishing is not the only avenue. There are other things. I mean, the beauty of this age is there's so many different ways to share who you are and who you're being and what you're writing and what you're creating. But we all, not all, not we all, a lot of us feel hesitant, feel fear, don't trust things. And so what we do is we self-sabotage. And sometimes we're aware of that. Sometimes we're not. Um, you know, there was a woman in this one group I'm in who posted that she doesn't understand why she writes novels about 90% of the way and, and then kind of just drops it, you know, just walks away, starts another project. She's like, why can't I finish projects? Why am I self-sabotaging? And I offered this possibility. I said, maybe you carry this fear of success. You know, if you complete the novel and you send it out and you, you have to send it out. And if you send it out, then maybe it gets picked up by a publisher. And if it publishes, then people will read it. And how scary does that sound? And then, you know, in terms of success, how amazing or not amazing, I don't know. Um, or, or maybe you are attached to that project. And once it's complete, you're not sure who you are. Maybe that project is part of your identity. And once you complete it, it becomes no longer part of your identity because it's been completed. So there's different possibilities. There's different options, different things, so many different things. But we all put the blinders on. Okay, I don't want to make grand sweeping statements. It's not all. But we put, a lot of us put the blinders on. And we think we know what's going to happen. We think we know the way. We think that this is the only way. There is an infinite, infinite amount of possibility for anything that you desire. And it sounds huge, but also cliche at the same time, because I'm sure lots of people are saying that, right? But if you think about infinity, infinity, like what? Our brains do not have the capacity to hold infinity. Like what does infinity even mean? What does it look like? I mean, like space just goes on forever and ever and ever, right? I mean, you've seen the NASA pictures. How insane, how insane is that stuff? And so if you think about how vast the universe is, 
that is how vast the opportunities are for our expression of who we are being. You know, there are some people out there in terms of like comparisonitis, there are some people out there who are like, oh, they're doing this thing that I'm doing and now we're in direct competition with each other and I don't like it because they're getting my people. Scarcity thinking, forgetting that there is infinite, infinite possibility. The people your competition is getting are not your people. Otherwise they would be with you. Everyone holds a signature vibration, which means I could be sitting next to someone who's offering the same stuff that I do, you know, coaching around healing from trauma for women of color, right? And I'll I'll even be more specific, second generation women of color writers, right? There could be two of us in the room, right? Both life coaches, both, you know, same credentials, whatever, whatever. We're two different people, two very different people because we've lived lives that are totally different. No one's lived my life as far as I know. Even my siblings, they've had a different life than I did. They have different parents than I did. Physically, same parents, like biologically, the same parents, yes. But it, the, the way in which my parents raised my siblings, totally different. And it's not even like different, like me versus them. It's different three different ways. They raised me different. They raised my brother different. They raised my sister different. Totally different. Like different relationships. Like who are you even (laughs) to my parents? Like that's what I'm like, what? So um, there's no competition. You know, the way we write, the way we tell the same story. I mean, even, even when you're telling a story about an event, right? An amazing experience you had. Like let's say you went to a concert with a bunch of your friends. And you're like, oh my God, that was the best concert ever. Woo! Right? And your friends all in agreement. Everyone had the best time. And then when you go to tell stories, remember when this happened and that happened? Everyone remembers the general thing that happened. But if you ask them to tell the story, they're going to tell it five different ways. Each individual is going to be telling it differently because of who they are being. So there's no way... There is any exact duplication of anything serious. And it's so funny because I, um, so I follow a few manifestation coaches, manifestation people, like teachers and stuff like that. They're so fun. I love, I love them. And, um, and I see them and I'm like, wow, a lot of them have similar language in their messaging about manifestation, but they're all so different and in how they teach it, in how they communicate what manifestation is and and how to do it. And it's just, it's so fascinating to me because it's like, oh, look, all these manifestation coaches, cool, right? And I'm like, well, how do I pick which one? It's like, you know what? You pick the one you like because of their personality, because of their energy, because of who they are being. And so that's the same with writing. That's the same with anything, actually. And so... It would be really short-sighted of us to take ourselves out of the race before we've even put pen to paper. I'm inviting you to come on retreat with me so that you can be who you need to be and feel safe in the spaces that I create so that you can create you through story through poetry, through whatever modality makes your heart sing. And I'm so excited about this retreat because in the mornings, we're going to do a little 
gentle yoga and meditation to help wake the body, to help get the mind clear. And then you'll be off, you know, burrow down into your private writing studios, or you can like wander the grounds. This um, artist colony is on the grounds of the estate of Edna St. Vincent Millay. So you can wander around and see it's beautiful there, beautiful grounds. And um, the time of year is right when the leaves start to turn. So it's going to be very colorful. Oh my God, I can't wait. There's a nice hiking trail up um, one of the mountains. I forget the name of it. It starts with an H. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, yeah. So yeah. And then after some writing and even some napping, we'll gather into sacred sharing circles around the bonfire where we're just going to check in and be like, Hey, how was your day? It was great. Any cool things, any interesting things pop up, or we can just talk about whatever we want to talk about. We can also shift into some, um, sacred healing circles where we can call in the things that we want to heal and let them go into the fire. Oh my God. How delicious is that going to be? I mean, so freeing. So, so amazing. And then I just added this bonus, which I'm really excited about. Um, so the Friday afternoon, I added a two hour workshop called cure vulnerability hangover. So curing vulnerability hangover, vulnerability hangover is when you write your traumas and then you re-traumatize yourself in the process because as you're writing it, your body, your nervous system is reliving that. And you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm living this again. Even though logically, you know, you're not, you know, that you're in a safe space your neural pathways are experiencing the trauma again. And so many people who experience this re-traumatization shift into vulnerability hangover where they really can't function for like three days after, you know, it's, it's draining energy is zapped people, you know, including myself, take naps all day, find it really hard to function through the day-to-day stuff. Um, and so it makes us reluctant to want to share our deep stories, even though we know it's so necessary to do so. So I've created this workshop that will help you identify the triggers and the responses, and then find the solution to building resilience in that pattern, building resilience in the nervous system and using embodied healing practices so that you will not experience the vulnerability hangover for three days. You might get a little bit, you know, and diminish it, but you will bounce back like that. No problem. You'll be like, oh, 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 oh yeah. So good. Yes. <laughs> so that is it, my friends. That is what I want to share with you this week. Um, Registration for the retreat closes on Tuesday, September 20th. So you need to register right away. There's only six spots available. So grab your spot while there's room. This is going to be so magical. I can't wait. And if you have questions, feel free to reach out. Uh, you can email love at suryagian.com. That is S-U-R-Y-A-G-I-A-N dot com for more information but all of the information is on the webpage you can go there it's the poetspriestess.com slash retreat and if you're wondering why i've got two domains it's a long story but i will save that for another time <laughs> all right my friends so i want to close the episode with um a poem by uh, from the anthology the world i leave you 
Asian American poets on faith and spirit, because this is just an amazing collection. So here is a poem by Terfia Faizula. This is called Acolyte. The white cross pales further still. Its nailed arms watchful as window light furls over the backs of our knees as lavender shadows cut across our young necks. In this makeshift classroom church where I kneel with the others, restless on the cracked leather kneeler, how I crave these cream candles, how my hungry tongue sings. Fidelis, Fidelis, as I imagine mother in her kitchen humming black and white film songs as she curls her hennaed fingers around the rolling pins heavy back and forth, while father nods in his chair, the Koran on his desk open to the last page, the dark words blurring as his eyes close, seeing again the Shapla flower shaped epitaph on his father's tombstone. Now, with my head bowed, I whisper, Amar Nam Tarfia, until it is a prayer that grows. I help stack the hymnals higher and cup the candlelight away. Mm, love it, love it, love it. All right, my friends. So that is our episode for today. If you need any information, you can check out the show notes for a direct link to websites and resources of all kinds and email for any questions you have. Until next time, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Namaste. you're feeling like fighting the good fight is bringing you down and hope is starting to fade, grab my free seven-day meditative challenge, Spark Joy in Chaos, by signing up for my newsletter, which will be more light to your inbox. Go to suryagiyan.com slash subscribe.